What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the pod. Um, it's been uh, a little bit of time since the last one, about a week. So this one's um gonna be a little bit longer than a normal episode, I think, because the last one I dropped was a little shorter than usual. I got a lot of things to talk about. Um, I'm gonna split it up in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. Probably we're gonna start with the East because we were having, or actually, I tweeted this out, um, that. I'm, like, weirdly, talking about the Nets here, I'm weirdly, like, not worried about their chemistry, right? Because that was something that was clearly a problem with the Clippers last year in the playoffs and why they kind of fell apart is their chemistry at times, especially in the playoffs, was very sus, you know? It wasn't consistent. It wasn't, it, like, clearly wasn't there. You could tell that there were some chemistry issues going on for the Clippers, and that turned out to be a big problem with them blowing the 3-1 lead to Denver. But I'm weirdly not worried at all about the Nets' chemistry. Like, not at all. Because I know we've only had a seven-game sample size of Harden, Kyrie, and KD all together. But, like, I don't think – I don't see them stepping on each other's toes. Harden's clearly the one that's taking the step back. Kevin Durant is clearly still the number one option. And Kyrie Irving is clearly the number two option. You know, James Harden's running point guard. Kyrie's scoring. KD's scoring. So – I'm I'm weird. Like, it's so weird to me to not be worried about the Nets chemistry. Like, the more and more I watch this Nets team and the more and more I look at different things with this Nets team, the more I'm like, damn, they are a lot better than I think we're giving them credit for. Which is weird because they're the one seed in the East. You know, they're playing lights out. It doesn't matter who's on the court. They're winning games. But I just don't think we're giving the Nets enough credit because of just how fucking good they really are. And I'm not worried about this chemistry at all. In fact, I think it's a little bit scary that we don't really quite know what this Nets team at full potential is going to be. I think that's a scary thing more than a concerning thing. But speaking of the Nets, I brought this up in on um, the PlayStation party with my friends. I asked them, I was like, who out of every team in the NBA, out of all the teams in the NBA, is the best matchup for the Nets? And almost unanimously, everybody in the party said the Lakers. And I don't think I agree with that. I honestly don't think I agree with that. I think the 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 best chance for a team to knock the Nets out is the Bucks, And that might be a hot take. And I'm willing to die on this hill, but this is for several reasons. So first of all, I'm not discounting the ability of the Lakers to take them out. I think that if they meet in the finals, I'm picking the Lakers. Part of me as a hater, but part of me as just genuine confidence in LeBron and AD to get it done. That's number one. That needs to be said first and foremost. The Bucks may be number one on my tier of who can beat the Nets, but the Lakers are 1B. It's really fucking close. I'm just starting to get concerned about the Lakers situation as a whole. But the Bucks match up really, really well. You can put Drew Holiday on Kyrie Irving, and Drew Holiday is really starting to get into his own. But also, if you ask NBA players, Drew Holiday is the best defender in the NBA. So... You put Drew Holiday on Kyrie Irving, you put Chris Middleton on James Harden, you put Giannis on Kevin Durant. Now, you're not you're not stopping any of those three players, but you can definitely slow them down. And I think that combined with the Bucks' overall depth and strength at places where the Nets are not strong makes it makes it clear to me that the Bucks have the defensive capability to really slow down Brooklyn. Now, on the other end of the floor, now, that being said, Mike Budenholzer sucks, and his defensive system of packing the paint won't really work against the Nets. So, 
they would need Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin. They would need these guys on the Nets and the role players on the Nets, Landry Shaman. They would need them to go ice cold from three, kind of, or at least not shoot well from three. And they would need Kai, James Harden, and KD to all be slowed down by their defensive assignments, which I don't know if they would. But then on the other end of the court, the Bucks should have a field day on offense because their offensive system is basically give Giannis the ball and we'll see what happens. They still, I mean, I haven't granted I haven't watched a ton of Bucks games this year, but from what I've seen, they haven't really been using Giannis as much of a pick and roll man, which I would love to see and I wanted to see. But regardless, the Nets don't have a personnel to build a wall. They just don't. Who's gonna have build a wall? Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant? Like, no. As great as Nick Claxton has been, as amazing as he has played, as as awesome as it has seen has been to see him go from no minutes to starting in some situations and, and playing really well, he's not quite there yet. Maybe in a couple years, yeah, but he's just not quite there. No way in hell Nick Claxton's stopping Giannis. No way in hell Kevin Durant's stopping Giannis. Who is guarding Giannis? Not to mention the fact that Chris Middleton is a great off-the-dribble creator. Who are you having guarding him? Because I understand James Harden and Kyrie Irving, when they're locked in, they are good defenders. But A, they're not going to be locked in for the whole game. Harden, maybe. Kyrie, probably not. And B, Chris Middleton is still a better scorer than James Harden as a defender, like by a wide margin. You know? I think that the Bucks match up really well. And the way that the standings are right now in the East, I think um, the only way that they would be able to match up is in the Eastern Conference Finals, which is really awesome. Oh, that's not true. Bucks are the three seed. So yeah, still Eastern Conference Finals. The Hornets are the four seed. What is this? Oh my God. But yeah. I mean, the Bucks would have to go through the Sixers, and the Sixers have the personnel to build a wall. That Bucks Sixers series would be really fucking interesting. But I think the Bucks have the best shot of beating the Nets. <sighs> Excuse me. Now, similarly, the Sixers have a really good shot at beating the Nets, but I just don't think the Sixers have the perimeter defense because I'm putting Ben Simmons on Kevin Durant. But who am I? Am I putting Danny Green on James Harden? Do I trust that matchup? You know. Who the hell is guarding Kyrie Irving? Is Tobias Harris guarding Ben Simmons? Not Ben Simmons. Is Tobias Harris guarding James Harden and Danny Green's guarding Kyrie Irving? I think that's barbecue chicken. Are you putting Matisse? Are you, so you're going to start Matisse Thibel then and put him on one of those three. Well, now you have two complete three. Three guys that I'm willing to take an open drink. I understand Embiid's been great this year. I'm living with an Embiid three. I am. I'm living with a Ben Simmons three, and you're sure as hell I'm living with a Matisse Thibel three. So the Sixers are not as good of a matchup. I think the Bucks are clearly the best matchup for the Nets, at least in terms of the Eastern Conference. But I just thought that was interesting because, you know, the first impulse of the guys in the party was go, Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. And I feel like we've all been kind of trained to be like, the Lakers are the best matchup. I don't know if they are. Because AD on Kevin Durant, I like that matchup. James Harden on LeBron, I don't know if I love that matchup. And then who's guarding Kyrie Irving? Dennis Schroeder? I don't know how I feel about that matchup. KCP? I don't know how I feel about that matchup either. You know? It'll be interesting. We'll have to see just how the Lakers play when they're healthy. Because Drummond could be a big impact or he could be nothing. It's it's to be determined. I think that in, in an NBA final situation, 
if Drummond is for real and Drummond is not fraudulent as some of my friends think that he is, he could kill Nick Claxton in a seven-game series and really prove, hey, I'm like that. You know, get those extra possessions, get those offensive rebounds, get a couple blocks. It could be really special. Um, other things with the East, I don't know. The play is going to be really interesting in the East because you have teams who are not in the plan right now, and the Hornets and the Heat. And the Hornets, LaMelo's out. Gordon Hayward's pretty much out for the rest of the season. Somehow they keep winning games, which is really annoying as a Celtics fan. I keep I keep waiting for the Hornets to drop in the standings, and they're just not dropping. They're just, they just continue to consistently be at the top half of the Eastern Conference. So, you know, that's really... I, I'm fascinated by that. I'm so fascinated by that. But then the Hawks are the 15th, the Heat are the 16th, and the Heat have been, <sighs> excuse me, really inconsistent this year. So I could see the Heat dropping down to the ninth seed very easily. You know, they're, they're a couple losses away from dropping down to that ninth seed <clears throat> or down to the eighth seed. So Celtics might not be in the plan, but Celtics, Knicks, Pacers, Bulls, those four teams are looking like right now, if the season were to end today, those are the four teams in the plan. I'm loving our odds to be the seventh seed. Fuck the eighth seed. Yeah, we'd have to play Philly in the first round. We're getting our asses destroyed. But I like our odds as, as in terms of just making the playoffs. Like, that's where I am with the Celtics. Let's just make the playoffs, which is sad because we've made the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years. But I'm just happy with a playoff berth at this point. It's tragic, man. It's tragic. But we'll move on to the Western Conference. I'm also going to talk about the 25 under 25 list and some other things, including Trey Young and Shea, how players can go from overrated to underrated. But the first thing I want to talk about the West is the Denver Nuggets, right? And I preface, I will preface this with, again, I asked in the party, are you guys worried about the Nuggets? Like, are the Nuggets a contender to you guys? And it was a unanimous no. And I was like, what about the Aaron Gordon trade? And they were like, no. In the, I think it's like 78 minutes or something. Now, okay, Dom2K dropped a video about three days, two days ago, I think, about how the Aaron Gordon, so Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, and Will Barton, that lineup of five players in the, the minutes that they have played together have the number one defensive rating in the league and the number one offensive rating in the league. Literally the two, like the best lineup in the NBA is those five players, which was shocking to me. I also found out Michael Porter Jr. is not a garbage defender anymore. I was watching the Nuggets the other night and I started to look into it because I got really interested by it. Michael Porter Jr. like the last like a month and a half, two months has been an above average defender, which is shocking. Absolutely shocking. But there are multiple reasons why I think the Nuggets are for real, for real. First of all, they got their versatile wing that they lost in Jeremy Grant. They got their versatile wing. Aaron Gordon is a guy that can defend, you know, four through one, in my opinion, four through two. Let's not give him point guards. Four through two, he can stretch the floor, he can catch lobs, he can do everything. He is the perfect man to put next to Jokic. We talk about all the time how Michael Porter Jr. is a great scorer next to Jokic because he can cut, he can shoot, it doesn't matter what he's doing. Holy shit, Aaron Gordon is the exact same. Aaron Gordon is so good, and I don't think people appreciated how good he was because he was in Orlando. He is a very good defender. Like, he is the guy that you throw on LeBron, and you're not stopping LeBron, obviously, but you're slowing him down, you know? We've seen Anthony Davis be bothered by smaller defenders before. I am very, very—I'm buying into this Nuggets team. 
because I want to see Jokic do well, yeah. <sighs> Excuse me. But also because the team as a whole is just good. Like, they're just good composite. They have a bench. I mean, they reduced a little bit of their depth in the Aaron Gordon trade, but still, I am very optimistic about this Nuggets team as a whole. And I think that they have the potential to do something special in the Western Conference. I think they have the potential to to upset some people and play really well. I mean, because if we look at the top half of the Western Conference right now, top four seeds are the Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. Out of that, if you were to ask a fan, they're probably only labeling the Clippers as serious, serious threats, which I don't think is fair. I think the Nuggets are real threats to come out of this Western Conference. I think the Nuggets are arguably the best team in the West this year. Now that does segue into the next topic, which is, what are the chances? Like we need, I think we need to seriously start considering the chances that the Jazz and the Suns come out of the West because they played their game last night. It was one of the best games of the season. It was amazing. Chris Paul played amazing. Devin Booker played amazing. Donovan Mitchell played amazing. And and it it made me think of two things. One, the Utah Jazz man. When their shots aren't falling, which is exactly what was happening last night, they resort to this this Donovan Mitchell go get us a bucket thing. And that's and this is kind of a problem with the NBA as a whole. Kenny talked about about this on the podcast on his latest um, game recap, where the NBA as a whole, it doesn't matter how fluid and how great your offense is. The last five minutes of the game, you're giving your star player the ball, and you're just like, "Hey, get us a bucket," and that's just kind of how the NBA is. That's what it's evolved into, which is both good and bad. It's good because, you know, hey, we get to see. Big-time players in big-time moments making big-time shots, and that's super entertaining as fans. Honestly, watching Jason Tatum take a sidestep three and nail that shit is more entertaining than watching Jalen Brown come off a pin down and shoot an open three. It is. Whether or not he makes it, it completely dictates my mood for the rest of the night, but Jason Tatum taking that sidestep is much more entertaining than a Jalen Brown open three. It is. But regardless, they were the Jazz weren't hitting their shots, so they're kind of resorting to Donovan Mitchell get us a bucket, which isn't a terrible game plan. He had 40 last night. We've shown, and Donovan Mitchell has shown that he can just take over a playoff series completely. Like, that's not a bad thing to do. And I'm not saying that all oh, this proves that the Jazz are fraudulent, because I still believe in this Jazz team. But we need to start discussing the probability that the Jazz or the Suns come out of the West. Because at the end of the day, the Lakers are going to fall further. They are going to fall further. LeBron and AD are going to come back, and they're going to have to get used to drumming. They're going to have to get the role players are going to have to readjust. Like there will be a period of time in which this Lakers team does not look like the Lakers. It happened last year when we were getting into the bubble. The Lakers couldn't hit a shot for shit, and everyone would say, "Uh oh, Dame's on fire. The Lakers are ice cold. It's over. Dame's going to upset them." Didn't happen, obviously, but. This is a serious start because the Lakers are just going to fall further, right? The Blazers are a game and a half behind. The Mavericks are two and a half games behind. That's ground that can be made up. You know what I'm saying? Like the Lakers could easily, easily fall down to the seventh seed. And then you're playing the Suns in the first round. Now, obviously, the Suns defensively have some question marks. DeAndre Aiden is great in his own right, but guarding Anthony Davis, uh, I don't like that matchup. AD could take him off the dribble and kill him. I guess he would throw Jay Crowder at him, which Jay Crowder gave him some trouble in the uh, finals last year. But, you know, I don't know. And then Mikel Bridges on uh, LeBron. I love Mikel. Love Mikel Bridges to death. I'm taking LeBron James in that matchup every day. Um, 
or they're right now, right now they would have to play Nuggets in the first round. And that's a scary matchup if I'm the Lakers. If I'm a Lakers fan, I'm sweating playing the Clippers, the Nuggets, and the Suns. Maybe even the Jazz. A little bit the Jazz. Because these teams are for real, man. And and I think that we all we all like kind of unanimous. We're like, yeah, 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 there are some contenders in the West, but the Lakers are coming out of the West. Are they? Are they? This Western Conference is deeper, and I think we're not giving due credit to the Jazz and the Suns. I think we aren't. I think we need to really seriously discuss the chances of the Jazz and the Suns coming out. Because, yes, at the end of the day, star power matters. Star power matters in the playoffs. Matchups matter. But if I'm going up against the Lakers, and yeah, LeBron has a better matchup, and yeah, AD has the better matchup, but Chris Paul has the better matchup, Devin Booker has the better matchup. And I don't know who else. Who else? I I'm taking DeAndre Ayton over Andre Drummond has the better matchup. I still win the matchup battle technically. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that it would be a very close series. I think it's completely possible that the Lakers go to seven against the Nuggets or the Clippers in the first round, and then are just beat up and tired. Especially if it's a Lakers Clippers series in the first round, you know it's going to be physical. You know it's going to be gritty. You know it's going to take a lot of work to win that series. And on the chance that the Lakers win that series, then they have to go up against another powerhouse right off the bat. They probably have to go up against the Jazz right off the bat. And this could be another scenario like LeBronto, right? We've seen this before. We've seen this movie before where there's a high-powered one seed. We're saying, hey, maybe LeBron's not coming out of his conference. And then LeBron sweeps the floor with them. We'll just have to see. But I think that it's important that we, as an NBA fandom as a whole, understand and start to kind of cope with the idea that the Lakers or the Clippers might not be coming out of the West. And that it could be the Jazz. It could be the Suns. It could be the Nuggets. You know, I'm not discounting the chances of the Blazers, Mavs, Grizzlies coming out. They're not coming out, though. De- I love Dame to death. The-, the Blazers need to learn how to play defense. I love Luka, but it's just not there. It's just they're just a couple pieces away. They're just a couple pieces away. Man. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about with the West. I mean, I still have some other things, but the Nuggets being contenders for real, which I believe that they are, I think. The Nuggets are the second best team in the West right now. If I was a betting man putting money on people going to the Western Conference Finals, number one, or people going to the NBA Finals out of the West, it would be number one, the Lakers, number two, the Nuggets. My God, imagine if it's like a Nuggets Bucks Finals. I was thinking about that the other day. Imagine if it's a Jazz Bucks Finals. Imagine the five people that would watch that shit. Oh my God. <laughs> but the, the last thing I want to talk about in the West before I kind of talk about the NBA as a whole is the Timberwolves as a franchise. Because they have, right now, they have three of the youngest, most offensively talented players in the game. And Carl Anthony Towns, a guy who I believe could be one of the greatest offensive big men in NBA history. D'Angelo Russell, a guy who's proven to be all-star quality and who has come back pretty well so far. And Anthony Edwards, a guy who's contending for Rookie of the Year and has shown that he could, you know, put a 40-piece on your head if, if he feels it. But it's crazy because I feel like this was kind of happening before the trade deadline. There were some rumors about Carl Anthony Towns wanting out. And I kind of feel like we're anticipating the next superstar that wants out, right? Paul George wanted out of Indiana. And he wanted out of OKC. You know, Kawhi wanted out of San Antonio. AD wanted out of New Orleans. James Harden wanted out of Houston. Kyrie Irving wanted out of Cleveland. Like, I can go down the list of suit. It seems like every at least once a year we get a superstar that wants out. 
And it seems like Carl Anthony Towns is that next guy. It was Devin Booker for a while, but then they got Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton hit a stride. They drafted really, really well. Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges. And so D-Book's presumably happy now, but Carl Anthony Towns seems to be that next guy up. And this is difficult for many situations. So first of all, Cat has four years left on his deal. So you would get a lot of value for him. You'd get a lot of value. I'm talking a ton of first-round picks, uh, probably a couple young assets. like Anthony Davis level haul, in my opinion, is what you would get for Carl Anthony Towns. But even if Cat is, is traded, if he walks in the front office, he says, hey, request, uh, he, hey, trade me. What the fuck are you doing with D'Angelo Russell? You're paying that man like $30 million a year. And he, although is great, is not really worth a max contract, in my opinion. Listen, I'm a, I'm a huge D'Lo fan. I have a D'Lo jersey, brother. He just ain't, he ain't like that like that. You know what I'm saying? D'Lo's a shooting guard at the end of the day who can't play defense. And it's tragic that, that the Timberwolves won't be able to figure this out because I've said it before, I'll say it again. The ceiling of this Timberwolves team is very low, in my opinion. You have three guys that are dominant on, on ball scorers for the most part. They're, they're best when they have the ball in their hands in terms of scoring, and none of them are great defenders. Cat's a bit of an above average defender. People have, haven't been giving him that much credit for it. He's an above average defender, but D'Angelo Russell is a complete non defender. Anthony Edwards so far has not been a great defender. And a big three with no defense is not going to work unless you're the fucking Brooklyn Nets. And I'm sorry, but this Timberwolves team is not the fucking Brooklyn Nets. So to see this Timberwolves team and how it's being constructed is very frustrating for me as as a fan of Cat, as a fan of D'Lo, as a guy who really likes Anthony Edwards, because they're set up for failure from the get-go. And this speaks to the Timberwolves as a franchise as a whole. They're terrible. They're a garbage franchise. They wasted Kevin Garnett's prime. They traded Kevin Garnett for pretty much nothing. They were bottom feeders until they got Carl Anthony Towns. They swung a trade for Andrew Wiggins. They traded for Jimmy Butler. And then when Jimmy Butler wanted to instill culture into the Timberwolves, they jettisoned him away for Dario Sarge and Robert Covington, two guys that are no longer on this team. The Timberwolves are just like the worst franchise bar none in the NBA. And you know, the Rockets lost 20 games in a row. They're still better than the dance Timberwolves. Um, here, let's see if I can pull up the ESPN 25 under 25 list. Because I don't know if I will be able to. It's behind a paywall because ESPN is greedy and sucks. Um, do, 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 do. I know Tatum was five. I know that there were some questionable ranks. Yeah, they, they ranked him behind LaMelo. Okay, good. I have it here. So first things first, these are all bait. These are always bait. They're always bait for like to get clicks and for people to talk about it, for Twitter to talk about it. And it worked, right? Twitter was blowing up about this shit. So props to ESPN for doing that. Um, So number one on the list is Luka. I don't think anybody's arguing that. Number two is Zion, which is... I think preemptive in my opinion, but if you look at the players under him in terms of how good he is right now and his potential in the future, I think Zion ranking number two is fine. Lamelo's three, and this is where I pissed a lot of people off. I'm not necessarily really angry about this because in the in the short span that we saw Lamelo, he looks so fucking good, dude. 
he looks like a generational talent. He looks like that guy out of this draft class, and he looks like a guy that will be giving people problems for years in those cute ass Charlotte Hornets jerseys. So I'm not I'm not really mad about Lamelo being three. I'm pissed about Donovan Mitchell being four. I'm pissed about Donovan Mitchell being four. Donovan Mitchell's great. Don't get me wrong. He is great, but the guys under him are just better. Jason Tatum is better than him. I think Ben Simmons is better than him. Devin Booker is better than him. De'Aaron Fox is better than him. Bam Adebayo is better than him. Shea, we start to split hairs in my opinion. Donovan Mitchell is an above-average defender and a great scorer. Jason Tatum is a better defender and a better scorer. De'Aaron Fox is an apt defender and a better scorer. Ben Simmons is a miles better defender, a miles better playmaker, and a worse scorer. Devin Booker is a much better offensive talent, a better playmaker, in my opinion, and a worse defender. Ben Matabaya is a miles better defender, playmaker, and within his offensive system to me is better than Donovan Mitchell. Bam's offensive system is built around him. Donovan Mitchell's offensive system is built around his team. So that you could argue that as splitting hairs, and I wouldn't be mad about that. Same with Shea. I think that's arguing uh, splitting hairs here. So my beef is Donovan Mitchell at four. I would probably put... Donovan Mitchell at eight and move Tatum, De'Aaron, um, Ben Simmons, and D-Book all up a spot. I might put D-Book over Ben Simmons, maybe, maybe, because Ben Simmons' lack of offensive output is really starting to bother me. But Donovan Mitchell is the first one that I'm really mad about. Having Shea higher than Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown is something that I don't know how I feel about. So having him higher than Brandon Ingram, I'm not pissed about and having him higher than Jalen Brown, I feel like I should be mad about, but I don't know if I am because Shea is a, he's a ball dominant playmaker who is also a three level scorer. He's a worse defender though. Like I think Shea is a better playmaker than Jalen Brown. Don't get me wrong, JB's playmaking has been a lot better this year, but I think that Shea is just a better playmaker as a whole. Yeah, so I, I think Shea at 10 is fine because of the guys that you know, are behind him, especially since I think Shea's potential is a lot higher than Brandon Ingram's. I don't think Brandon Ingram's potential is much more than what we have right now, which don't get me wrong, a perennial all-star is amazing, but still. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are 13 and 14, respectively. I have a problem with this just simply because 15 and 16 are John Morant and Trey Young, and I think both... John Morant and Trey Young are better than Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. right now in the sense of like John Morant and Trey Young are the best players on their team, leading their teams to winning records. Jamal Murray is the second best player on the team. Michael Porter Jr. is the third best player on the team. And both of them have shown to be highly inconsistent in their ability to output offensively, which is their biggest strength, especially Jamal Murray. You know, Michael Porter Jr., has obviously the potential to be a superstar in this league. So I understand why he's higher than John Moran or Trey Young because John's also, I'm starting to get worried because John just had another hip, a hip injury. John scares me because athletic point guards, man, it takes a one injury. It takes one injury to change the course of their career. Luckily, Russell Westbrook, you know, wasn't too affected by it, even though the knee hampered him throughout his career. You know, Michael Porter, uh, um, John Morant is just starting to, it's starting to worry me a little bit. And then Trey Young, Trey Young, I was going to talk about this, the Trey Young and Shea phenomenon where players are going from underrated to overrated. We'll get to that after the list, but Trey Young is starting to become underrated in my mind. Not as much as some people think, but 
I think, in my opinion, is, is starting to be a little underrated. This is where the list gets wild. So right in a row, we have Mikel Bridges, DeMontis Sabonis, Anthony Edwards, and DeAndre Ayton. Mikel Bridges is awesome. I don't think Mikel Bridges will ever be a two-time All-Star in his career, which is what DeMontis Sabonis is already. DeMontis Sabonis should be probably... I don't know. I don't know if I would put DeMontis Sabonis higher because John Morant's ceiling, Trey Young's ceiling, Michael Porter Jr.'s ceiling, and Jamal Murray's ceiling are all higher than him. You know? Sabonis is at his ceiling, in my opinion. He's not taking the next leap. So I actually don't know if I, I would move him higher than Mikel, but I don't know if I'd move him far past that. You know? Anthony Edwards and DeAndre Ayton. I think Anthony Edwards' ceiling is a lot higher than DeAndre Ayton's. Mm. DeAndre Aiden could learn how to play basketball again. That'd be great. So I'm not really mad about that. And then 21 through 25 is Tyrese Halliburton, John Collins, Jared Allen, Lonzo Ball, and Colin Sexton. Which, okay, so Reese is that high because of his potential. He's, what, a 6'6 point guard that is a three-level scorer, has a very pretty jump shot, and can defend. his. He just has the highest basketball IQ of any guy I've seen in a really long time. John Collins is a guy who is a great offensive talent and above, slightly above, barely, barely above average defender, like average defender. But a guy who I believe is not worth a max contract, nor is going to elevate his game any further. Jared Allen is a phenomenal defender and a great guy that will help you win games. Same with Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball is the point guard that I would love to have on the Celtics right now. And Colin Sexton is a guy that I think can be best utilized as a sixth man, but he will be a starter just because he's that good. So I'm I'm really not too mad about this list. I'm just mad at how high Donovan Mitchell is and how I'm, – I'm a little upset at how low Sabonis is. Put some respect on the two-time All-Stars name. But this list mainly was just for bait, and it worked. So props to ESPN for being geniuses and knowing exactly just how stupid NBA fans are. But this segues into my final thing, and this is about two guys that I feel have uh, flipped positions. Because I'm a huge critic of Trey Young. I'm a huge critic of Trey Young. I'm a huge fan of Shea Gildrius, Gil, Gildrius Alexander. But both of them have flipped scenarios. Shea went from underrated. He is now extremely overrated. There's a Twitter thread. You can find it if you look for like five seconds of players that Shea is better than. And guys that are on the list are Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, like guys that Shea is just not better than right now. Shea's ceiling may be higher than them. <sighs> you could argue that to me all day and I might agree with you, but Shea as as a player right now is not better than Jalen Brown. He's not better than Brandon Ingram, you know? Those are all-stars. Put some respect on their names. But regardless... I think that's just Thunder fans hyping him up because they need a franchise player. I don't know if Shea's a franchise player, but I don't know if Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown are also franchise players. Now, in terms of Trey Young, I am a huge critic of Trey Young. I am highly critical of Trey Young. And Trey Young deserved deserves to get a lot of the slander that he has been getting, especially this year. Um just simply because he Oh, Rodney Hollis Jefferson is now a blazer. Wow. <laughs> Last season, Trey Young averaged 29 points per game and nine assists on below league average efficiency. I think it was like 45% from the field and like 36 or 37% from three. So league average a little bit below. 
This season, Trey Young averages 25 points per game and 9 assists on 42% shooting from the field and 35% shooting from three, if I can remember correctly. And those splits are horrible. He has not only gone down scoring, which I wouldn't be mad if he had gone down in his scoring, because he has Bogdanovich, he has Danilo Gallinari. There are more weapons on this team. DeAndre Andre has really started to come into his own this season. But I'm especially upset about this because his efficiency has gone down. Trey Young is worthy of slander. Trey Young does not deserve to be an all-star. Trey Young deserves to be criticized for the fact that he cannot defend whatsoever. And that's kind of out of his power at this point. Trey Young deserves to be criticized for a lot of things. But to say to compare Trey Young and Lonzo as players in a vacuum, as players in a vacuum, is laughable and disrespectful to Trey Young. Now, as players in a situation, like I would much rather have Lonzo on the Celtics than Trey Young. I would. But as a vacuum, as players, Trey Young is the better player. You know? You can argue, oh, Lonzo's a better defender. Technically, Lonzo's a better three-point shooter. If Trey Young was getting the looks that Lonzo Ball gets and wasn't utilized in the way that he is, he would probably be shooting a lot better. He would probably be scoring a lot more efficiently. But because the, the system is set up the way it is in Atlanta, <coughs> Trey Young's efficiency suffers greatly. So I just wanted to, you know, let Hawks fans out there know that I'm on your side in some cases. Trey Young deserves slander, but not as much as he's been getting. Um, but that will probably, I think, conclude this episode. I'm trying to think of other things. Oh, I mean, in terms of Celtics talk, just really quick, if you're still at the end of this episode, I'm slowly starting to endorse Fire and Brad Stevens, right? If we look at 2019 as a season in a vacuum, that's partially Brad Stevens' fault. It's a good amount, Brad Stevens' fault, in my opinion. For not being able to figure out fucking rotations, for not being able to tell guys their role. Like, that's the coach's job, is to let people know their role and then go with it. And if you don't like it, you can leave. (coughs) Sorry. Brad just didn't do that at all. 2020, Eastern Conference Finals. He got pantsed out, coached. Pantsed out, coached. And it's not even like Eric Spolster was doing some crazy bullshit. Even in, even the series before that, fuck the Heat. When we were in the Raptors series, he was getting out coached by Nick Nurse. The Raptors had no business making that a seven-game series. Pascal Siakam, their best player, was playing like garbage. Like it took Jason Tatum being stupidly good, Jalen Brown playing very good, and Pascal Siakam playing like a bum for us to win in seven games. Seven games. Nick Nurse was out coaching Brad Stevens. Eastern Conference Finals. On paper, we have an apt team. It should have been more competitive than it was. I understand it was a six-game series. It didn't feel like a six-game series as a Celtics fan. Brad Stevens got killed coaching-wise. Eric Spolster would throw a zone at us, and we wouldn't know what the hell to do. We wouldn't know what the hell to do. And then Eric Spolster would be like, hey, Goran, run a pick-and-roll with Bam, and we would get burnt every single time. It seemed like... We didn't know going into any play if we were switching or staying or whatever. We couldn't defend for shit. And yeah, part of that is on Daniel Tice. But holy shit, you are an NBA coach. Teach, bro. Get him the right information. And then 2021 so far, I'm just so done with this. The the Celtics have like a top 10 offense in the league. You wouldn't know from watching them. The Celtics offense completely depends on whether or not our shots are falling. 
That is the only way that we score. If we're hitting our threes, we're going to win the game. If we're not hitting our threes, we're not going to win the game. Which you may say, yeah, that's the modern NBA. Not when you have two 25-point-per-game scorers, man. You can't have that. We need to have Tatum and Brown working off of each other better than just, oh, you ISO this play, you ISO that play, you ISO this play, you ISO that play. That's what it feels like. It feels like Kemba, Jason, and Jalen just switch off isoing. Yeah, we run a down pin for Jalen every once in a while. Same with Jason, same with Kemba. But for the most part, it's just ISO scoring. There's no offensive system. I have never seen in my life a Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum pick and roll. Do you realize how fucking deadly it is to have two three-level scorers running a pick and roll? That's disgusting. Why isn't that happening? Why isn't that happening? You know, why not? I'm just Brad Stevens is starting to look funny in the light to me. And I'm I'm I if the if the season were to end today and we were to fire Brad Stevens because we get swept in the first round by Philly, I wouldn't be extremely angry about it. And I don't think Celtics players would be extremely angry about it. Brad Stevens is a college coach. Whether or not he translates to the NBA is 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 still to be determined in my opinion. Because I said this today to one of my friends, and he's he's a complete casual. So he doesn't really know anything. He was like, how dare you say that? Look at the success he's had. He's been granted very good rosters. Now, 2017, 2018, I will give him a lot of credit. 2017, I'll give him a lot of credit because Isaiah Thomas, we built a perfect system around him and we won a lot of games. 2016, we got into the playoffs with a roster that was eh, pretty apt to get in the playoffs for the, for the um, East. So I'm not going to you know, suck Brad Stevens' dick for that. But 2017, he deserves a lot of credit because we built a system around Isaiah Thomas that worked really well. 2018, Gordon goes down. Kyrie eventually goes down. We make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. He deserves credit for that. 2019, but like as much as he deserves credit for 2016, 2017, 2018, he deserves blame for 2019, 2020, and 2021. We should have been the final. We should have lost to the Lakers in the finals in 2020. We should have. I fully believe that still to this day. There is no way in hell you're up by 15-plus in multiple games in the Eastern Conference Finals. You should not blow those leads. That's some Clippers shit. I don't like that. So, yeah, as a Celtics fan, I'm starting to, to inch closer towards firing Brad Stevens and exploring options outside of him. Um, but that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, make sure to like it. Tweet at me at the 3 and D podcast if there's anything you want me to cover. Thank you. Peace.